Welcome to another episode of the Tech.eu podcast. My name is Robin Walters, and I'm here again with my co-host, Tech.eu reporter Shaheen Samavati. Hey, Shaheen. Hi, Robin. Now, first of all, we'd like to offer our apologies if we haven't been releasing a new podcast every week. The conference season has kicked off big time, so we don't always find the time to script and record in between all the preparation work and the travel and the networking. So the good thing about that is that we meet a lot of people who are seemingly big fans of our podcast, so there's no way that we're giving up on it. Thanks for those who give us feedback on what to improve as well. It's very helpful. And again, sorry if we have uh, missed a couple of appointments lately. Anyway, let's get started. To nobody's surprise, I'm sure, there's been quite a lot of news in recent weeks that's worth discussing in this podcast. Uh, However, we'll kick things off with a summary of our most recent report, which is on European tech funding and exits for the first quarter of this year. And Shaheen dove into all of the financing, M&A transactions, and the IPOs that we tracked across Europe during the first quarter of this year. Shaheen, do you care to share some of your findings with us? Absolutely. Well, as you said, this is the first time we've done a report that's both combined funding and exits in the same report. So first of all, one conclusion is that the European tech industry is definitely still growing, maybe not by leaps and bounds, but very surely and steadily nonetheless. And if you look at funding, uh, we monitored about 870 deals across Europe in the first quarter of, of 2017 which isn't the most activity we've ever seen, but it was uh, one of the best quarters we have on record with a total of 4.5 billion euros raised. And uh, last year, European tech companies raised a record of 16 billion euros in funding. So if things keep up at this pace, we're on track to surpass that and set another record in 2017. Yeah, that would be no surprise, at least not to me. Of course, we're talking about incremental growth here. Total numbers still kind of pales in comparison to what we're used to seeing in the US and China. Uh, But at the very least, the momentum doesn't seem to be slowing down. Now, in the first month of the second quarter, which is this month, April, uh, we've already covered and tracked uh, quite a number of big funding rounds, a $60 million round for Israel-based Valence, the UK's Babylon Health, um, raised the same amount. In France, we've seen $75 million going to Actility and $70 million going to Evalua. And then Lovecrafts in the UK has raised $26 million British pounds, and Romanian-founded UiPath announced a $30 million Series A round led by Excel, and so on and so on. Uh, We're going to talk about some of these rounds in more detail later on the podcast. But what can you tell us about exits in the first quarter of 2017, Shane? Well, first of all, the number of overall tech M&A deals across Europe increased 5.6% during the first quarter compared to the same period the previous year. But this time around, very few of the transactions as sizes were disclosed. That led to the total reported exit volume to actually drop by 16.7% to 20 billion euros during the period compared to 24 billion euros during the same quarter of 2016. What's interesting is the massive increase when it comes to VC-backed tech companies. The number of such deals actually held steady at 65, but the value of those transactions shot up to a whopping 358% from 3.5 billion euros in Q1 2016, uh, all the way up to 16.2 billion euros in Q1 2017. Of course, that was all mainly thanks to one deal, which was Israel-based Mobilize, 13.4 billion euros uh, acquisition by Intel. But it's still encouraging news for investors placing bets on European tech startups. And we'll be keeping a close eye on how Europe will fare when it comes to exits in this quarter, and particularly where there will be further decrease in exit volume as a continued rise in the number of deals. Thank you very much, Shaheen. You can buy the full report now on our online market research store. You can find it at tech.eu slash shop. That's where you can find all of our reports. 
The latest one offers a lot of data and analysis on the European tech sector. As Shaheen mentioned, we combined both funding and exits data for the first quarter of this year. This is the first time we do that. Ports available for purchase for just £125, which is just under €150, Euros, should be at least. Um, so don't hesitate to get your copy soon. So now let's highlight some of the biggest European tech stories from the past few weeks. And we're going to start with one of the biggest and perhaps best known private European tech companies from these parts, Spotify. The Swedish company has been in news quite a lot lately, in particular because of a Wall Street Journal report that said Spotify is planning a direct public market listing in September, which actually wouldn't involve raising any new money. A normal IPO involves a company issuing shares of stock, but according to the report, Spotify will instead simply register its shares on a public market. This allows the company to hit the public markets much faster, and also with less hassle, without expensive underwriters and some of the other costs um, that are associated with preparing for an IPO. And what it also means is that the value of current stock, which is held by founders, employees, and investors, would not get diluted by the addition of new shares. Meanwhile, Spotify has cut multi-year licensing deals with one of the major labels, Universal Music, and Merlin, which is the global digital rights agency for the independent label sector. Now, all they have to do is get Sony and Warner on board, and they're pretty much good to go for an IPO that will most certainly propel its value beyond $10 billion. So let's see about that. Now, another minor Spotify news, uh, the company has acquired U.S. blockchain startup Media Chain Labs. Uh, the no deal terms were disclosed, unfortunately. Uh, Media Chain Labs is headquartered in Brooklyn, New York. Um, they've created a solution called the Media Chain Protocol via the blockchain that basically links a creator's content online with information about the creator. Now, we'll have to wait and see what this means for Spotify's main service down the line. That's a lot of Spotify news indeed. But now for something completely different, we've been watching how Russia increasingly deals with American tech giants. Alphabet, the parent company of Google, for one, has reached a settlement in its antitrust case with Russian regulators. The case, which was brought on by a complaint from its Russian competitor Yandex, questioned whether Google was abusing its position in the market by forcing Android devices to pre-install certain apps at the expense of rivals. The Russian regulator, the Federal Anti-Monopoly Service, or FAS, has previously imposed a fine on the U.S. company of about 7.3 million euros. In response, Google proposed the settlement, which was recently agreed on. Meanwhile, the Russian telecom regulator, I don't know how to say this, but <laughs> Rosko Manzor, <laughs> announced last week that Twitter has agreed to the transfer its Russian users' data to um, Russian-based servers by mid-2018. The country's legislation on personal data, which came into force in September 2015, requires to store Russian citizens' data only in servers located on the Russian territory, and Twitter is one of the last major tech companies to comply with the local law. And in other perhaps related news, Airbnb has recently shuttered its Russian subsidiary in a bid to simplify the company's operating structure across the globe. Although it says it remains committed to the Russian market, the company says it's decided that it was simply easier to conduct operations through their offices in Berlin, Dublin, and London, according to a spokesperson. So now, Robin, you had a chance to catch up with a number of people in the past few weeks at all these conferences you've been to. So let's feature some of your interviews. We'll start with the conversation you had with Dr. Hens Woltorf, uh, the CEO and co-founder of Berlin-based Blacklane, which enables people to easily book ground transportation at low rates across the globe. Hey, this is Robin from TechU, and I'm here in Berlin. I'm here with Dr. Jens Woltorf, who's the CEO of Blacklane. What's Blacklane? Blacklane is a global um, car service provider that um, has the ambition to fill the first and the last mile of everybody's travel. We're here in Berlin. Were you actually born out of Berlin? And when was that? 
I was born in uh, actually 1977, I'm afraid. So I'm 39 years old and indeed born and raised in Berlin. Yeah. Right. And the company? The company was also born and raised in Berlin um, in the year 2009. It was mentally founded, um, officially founded in 2011 and we launched mid of 2012. Where did you get the idea? Do you have a background in, in transportation or anything? I was a business traveler myself and um, just too often um, I was um, seeing myself stranded in the middle of nowhere or having difficulties finding the right transportation, especially in rural or suburban areas. So I, uh, I, I was joining forces with my founding partner, Frank, um, and we started to solve this use case and uh, now we have done so. Right. When I think of competition, uh, some names come to mind. Uh, they might not be the right ones, but Uber and Halo and taxi. Do you consider them your competition or not and why? I would highly see them uh, highly complementary actually to our service as well as other modes of transportation. There are trains, there's car sharing, there are flights, there are buses, long but also short haul bus uh, services around. Um, Blacklane is concentrating on um, typically longer distances and, um, and uh, long minutes that um, actually on average 45 minutes that our customers are spending in the car. We also need these kind of use cases because um, um, a customer only values quality and comfort if he has to spend enough time in the car. Um, so that's uh, the reason why we are concentrating at least on airport transfers, if not longer, from one city to another or into the suburban areas. And this is uh, um, not the space where, uh, where taxi or ride-hailing services play, but they play rather in short-distance inner-city mobility contexts. But would it be fair to say that it's more of a high-end uh, premium service, not your run-of-the-mill uh, tourist uh, type transportation? Yeah, as it, it's it's right to say so from a comfort um, perspective, as long as it's it's not misunderstood as uh, being uh, expensive. Yeah, Blacklane is, um, due to the long distance, extremely attractive and often in many markets uh, beating taxi rates. Really? That's interesting. Where do you see the most growth currently? Where are you active, where are you operational and where do you like to be? Geographically, our biggest markets are um, Europe, of course, because we were built here. Um, um, but the single largest market is uh, North America, especially the US. Um, the fastest growth we currently see in Asia, um, not only Asia outbound travel into the uh, Western Hemisphere, but um, also um, international inbound into Asia. That's the reason why we just launched another 70 cities in, in the region and um, just recently opened uh, our, our first office outside of Berlin in Singapore to further develop the market. How many people work across these uh, offices? Um, in Berlin, roughly 220, 30 people. In, uh, in Singapore, which is just now a month old, uh, six. Um, you're also a funded company. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the investment you've raised in the past? Why and who from? Yes, um, we, our first round of financing um, uh, was happening uh, early 2012, right before we officially launched the service then in Berlin. Um, typical business angel investments and uh, financial investors uh, such as uh, B2B and uh, RI Digital Ventures. Later, also Alstein joined the boat um, as well as in 2013, um, the Daimler Corporation as a strategic investor, followed by the recruit holding from Japan, another strategic investor. So now we are actually proud to have a very powerful and, um, um, and, and, and friendly shareholder basis that we love to work with. Great. Um, being in Berlin, do you feel uh, an inherent part of this ecosystem? Um, and how do you feel that it's evolved over time? 
I think Berlin is one of the hottest um, um, cities you can uh, build a startup in. I can say that from from the bottom of my heart, not only because I'm a Berliner, but because I found it here. Um, and I see that um, building a, um, a company with 200, roughly 250 people, a diverse company uh, consisting of over 45 nationalities is only possible in a few places uh, uh, around the world. And especially in Europe, there are not a lot of those cities around. Um, that also is affordable in terms of cost of living mm. um, and has a lot of universities and young talents uh, around. I think this is unique and that's the reason why Berlin has really catched up in Europe. Um, I would consider Berlin leading the pack in Europe by now and also like the entire ecosystem, including um, potential investments, investors moving their offices to Berlin or to, to Germany, um, at least to Europe, um, is, um, is heavily helping. Mm. Absolutely. And these are some of the things that most people mention when talk about Berlin. Um, can you also share some of the limits or the disadvantages of being in Berlin? Or are there any downsides at all? Um, well, um, it's not Berlin specific, but there's certainly um, at the beginning, there is like a cultural um, downside um, when you start um, or a market downside when you start in a, in a country that only um, consists of 80 million people. That's a that's a um, economical disadvantage to a market uh, compared to a market like US or, or China that uh, makes it more difficult to start. But at some point, actually, this disadvantage uh, flips into an advantage because a European startup um, actually in pretty early days um, thinks about different cultures, different currencies, different languages uh, and, and prepare the systems to be scalable and the business model to be scalable in such a way. And, and that helped us uh, tremendously to be now active in over 50 countries and 250 cities worldwide. Great. Well, thanks. Thank you, Jens, for taking the time. Uh, enjoy the ride and best of luck with uh, Blackline. Thank you very much, Robin. And everybody, enjoy the ride. And uh, Robin, you were also in Denmark recently where you caught up with Simon Silvest, the co-founder of Founders, a Copenhagen-based startup studio that is working hard to build and invest in startups trying to define the future of work. Let's have a listen to that conversation as well. Hey, this is Robin from TechU and I'm here in Copenhagen and I'm here at the Founders startup studio. And I'm here with Simon, who's one of the founders of Founders. Indeed. <laughs> can you briefly explain what Founders is? I can. Um, so Founders is exactly a startup studio. You can also call it a startup platform. Basically, what we do is that we build companies from scratch. What we like to say is that we build companies from zero to traction. Uh, so it's very much about us acting as founders, co-founders, as and not as funders. So we take operationally active parts in building the companies that we build on the founders platform. Where do the ideas come from? Do people come to you with ideas and then you decide which ones you're going to work on? Or is it the other way around? Do you develop them internally and then look for people to actually build them? Yeah, very good question. I, I, like, So what actually happens is that we do a bit of everything. We're not really we're like agnostic about where the idea exactly comes from. Sometimes it comes from us or it's like more like area of opportunity we want to look into. Sometimes it's from outside where you meet a co-founder, you meet a person or a Two, uh, two, two persons that have this idea, this vision, this insights. Um, and then we kind of like just go from there. As we know, like ideas are never what actually ends up being the, 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 the core element of the business that takes many pivots to, to get to something that actually sticks. So for us, it's more about simply just agreeing on an area of opportunity. And, and just to comment on that as well, like our theme, at least, is uh, future of work. So what does that mean? Future yeah. work. 
So for us, future work means that that people we see, we believe, even for even more than they do today, will work differently. Um, we can see the the uprising of freelancers. Uh, we believe that people work more autonomously. Even if you're sitting in a big corporate organization, you will still have your kind of like own demands for what type of tools you'll be working with. Uh, and that just creates a whole new demand for exactly the work tools you're sitting with. And and we believe also that because of technology, um, you can actually start debundling some of the more kind of like uh, organization overarching solutions that you have today that just never fit really like what you need. Um, and we also see that you as a person, when you are in your private setting, you're used to Spotify, you're used to uh, really, really well developed UX solutions, and then you go to work, and then suddenly you're sitting inside an old uh, legacy experience. Do you feel like you've already proven that the model works, this startup studio, or are you still like in an experimental phase where you feel like you still need to prove it? I think I think for sure, like we, we still have a lot to prove for ourselves. I think we are, we are getting there. I'm, so indeed, Founders is also a startup in itself. And, and to some extent, we also need to, to reach product market fit. But as we know, I think with everything, when you think you reach product market fit, there's a new goal to reach. Um, so I think for sure that, that we have identified a very well-working process for us. Um, the first 12 to 18 months is very kind of clear about what we can add um, during that, that phase. Then, then, then there's some elements that we need to improve on is exactly how to um, meet the really good co-founders that we want to build com- uh, companies together with. And there's, of course, also for us to improve on what happens after these 18 months. Uh, how do we position our companies in the best possible way to give them the best um, opportunity for the future? But yes, I think that with the with the recent um, success of, of companies like Pleo, indications of success from companies like Contist and Duo, I think we are we're seeing the inklings of, of a process that actually works out quite well. Great. Um, you have your own investors? We do. Um, who is it? Yeah. How much did they invest? When did they invest, etc.? Yeah, so we, we have our own investors. It's three Danish family funds, more or less. It's uh, the, 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 the fund behind Lego, the fund behind Bestseller, and then the fund behind one of the big hearing aids companies in, 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 in Denmark um, called uh, William Demand. And they invested 40 million euro, which is this fund that we actually manage and use partly to run the platform, which is a big part of founders, which is exactly how we can amplify us as co-founders through this platform. And then partly it also goes into investing, simply providing the budget for the companies for these first 12 to 18 months. And and that budget comes to approximately 500,000 to 1 million euro that we put as a budget for all the companies that we build. Great. Um little broader question um, about the Copenhagen startup scene. Yeah. How do you think it's faring and how do you think it's evolved in the last, let's say, three to five years? Yeah. Um, so I think I've been part of the Copenhagen startup community, I would say, for at least like seven, eight years. And I think I think it's definitely matured a lot recently. Um, I think for sure Copenhagen for the win and, and a lot of the other community activities that are taking place, tech barbecue, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is is doing a lot. It's definitely bringing Copenhagen on the map. Uh, so in that way, I think I can see an increasing interest from from investors, and also increasing interest from from external talent. Uh, I think for sure, also Copenhagen has a few other things go, going for it. Like we have the food element, we have the whatever you 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 have an opinion about that, but like the happiest people in the world, blah blah blah. Uh, people actually 
are interested in Copenhagen, want to move to Copenhagen. And that, of course, is good for attracting talent, which is the main challenge for all companies um, being built out of Copenhagen. Absolutely. Um, any downsides, any negative points you would say about Copenhagen right now? Yeah. Um, so I think I think still we are a bit immature on the whole element of product experienced entrepreneurs. So I think um, I think what I see being the challenge for, for for Copenhagen is that we don't have that many of these startups, tech companies that have grown real big in Copenhagen in Denmark, and that kind of like then uh, limits us from having this kind of school of um, really good entrepreneurs, really good technical people that normally, for example, in Stockholm, go through Klarna, iSettle, Spotify, and kind of like get an education of being in a tech company still with a startup mind and then go out typically after a number of years and then start their own. We, of course, have Falcon that is still here. Uh, we have a few others, um, but 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 I don't. I, I, I kind of like miss that element of of education of being inside a, a, a more kind of like mature tech company yeah. well, i guess it takes time that's the one thing you can't really accelerate you need exactly. time for these companies to become scale-ups and you know further mature yeah yeah indeed for sure and i think uh, we also need to be better at, at having like making these companies stay in copenhagen um right now like of course we we, we know why and i think it makes sense of course all companies need to optimize for themselves but but we need to figure out how do we make sure that it's interesting for the large companies, for the, again, forgive me for using the word, but for the unicorns of the future to stay in Copenhagen. Right. Cool. Well, thanks for the chat. That was really good. And best of luck with founders. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now let's go to funding deals. We have a lot to catch up on. The largest round last week came from UK medtech startup Babylon Health, which has raised $60 million for its AI-based medical advice app. The investment comes from NNS Holdings, Vostok New Ventures, and existing investor Kinevec. Last year, Babylon raised $25 million in Series A funding, and this latest round was reported to have brought the company's valuation to $200 million. Babylon says its app has already been downloaded more than a million times, the app features a chatbot that asks users a series of medical questions to try and diagnose the patient's illness and give feedback on symptoms. The patient can then have a video call with a real doctor for £25, or they can pay £5 per month for a subscription to the service. Babylon says it plans to use the funds to further develop the app and its diagnostic capabilities. Meanwhile, Israeli application reliability and log intelligence company OverOps announced the closing of a $30 million Series C round led by Lightspeed Venture Partners with participation from Menlo Ventures. Both had invested previously in OverOps, which has now raised $52 million. The company transforms application logs into real-time intelligence so that critical production issues can be solved much more quickly. Quite interesting. Uh, another one's UiPath. It's a Romanian-founded automation software firm. Uh, they've announced a $30 million Series A round led by Excel with participation from some familiar names, Early Bird Venture Capital, Credo Ventures, and Seedcamp. The robotic uh, process automation, or RPA, software company uh, develops intelligent software robots and accounts uh, Lufthansa and Telenor among its customers. The new funds will be invested in the company's global expansion strategy, as well as, uh, of course, product development and AI capabilities. Uh, it's also opened a new U.S. office, but the company still appears to have most of its operations in Romania and also has a president in India and UK, for that matter. Uh, and then there's Lovecrafts. Uh, they're basically a social platform for crafts. On Tuesday, they, uh, last Tuesday, they announced that they've raised £26 million in a round led by Scottish equity partners, with participation from previous investors such as Balderton Capital and Highland Europe. London-based Lovecrafts is basically an online community for makers to interact, buy supplies, and sell designs. 
With this new investment, which is one of the biggest in the London startup so far in 2017, the social network meets e-commerce site plans to further scale its operations and tech as well as launch new sites. These are just a few of the recent highlights from the hundreds of deals we've tracked in the past few weeks. As I mentioned earlier, there were several other major rounds. Israeli-connected car startup Valence, uh, for example, brought in $60 million. Then there's the French IoT company Actility. They've raised 75 million euros. And also French spend and procurement management software company Evalua raised $70 million in a round led by KKR. Uh, you can read about all these deals and more on TechEU, of course. And to never miss a deal, you got to make sure that you sign up for our weekly newsletter. Uh, it's free. We list every week every funding and M&A announcement that takes place across Europe and Israel. So that's it for this week. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Make sure not to miss the next one by subscribing on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also follow TechEU on Twitter at tech underscore EU. And we also can be found on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Google Plus if you're so inclined. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back soon. Bye, Robin. Bye, Shaheen. Bye, everyone. Thank you.